If you're not mad about ads, and that's fair enough, choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts, and you can hear this podcast in all its glory without the ads. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Podcast time. Hope all is going well. And uh, John, we're going to get straight into this one. Yes. Straight into this I'm one. looking forward to this one. Yeah. So the wonderful thing about putting on festivals like Dorky, which is coming up, as you know, in a couple of weeks' time, is that sometimes you can just get in late arrivals, right? Yeah. And, you know, you, you talk to somebody, you meet them, you say, wow, that would be an amazing yeah. discussion. Right, it's not on your radar screen until it is. And then you've got to find a space and away you go. And I was talking to this extraordinary barrister, lawyer, human rights activist called Jason McHugh. Mm. And he came on my radar screen years ago because he prosecuted the IRA, the real IRA. He yeah. went after them, right? He has gone after Hamas. And his, his basic idea is that all these groups these terror groups, these groups that murder civilians, right? Let's call mm. spade a spade, that murder civilians. They are businesses. They are economic entities. And it's really funny, you know, in economics, you tend not to think about this. Yeah. But they are criminal enterprises. But the enterprise is the issue that we never focus. We tend to talk about the criminals and what they did. and Yeah, the you know, ideology the, and yeah, all and that the kind of stuff. And yeah. the courts and the courts and, you know, the, the sentences and justice but there's another side of justice, which is the criminal enterprise justice. The enterprise is to get these people in their pockets because they all work for somebody. Mm. This is the amazing thing. And that organization has to be financed. And the financing of that organization tends typically to be in the money laundering space. So you get stuff illegally, you launder the money, yeah. and lo and behold, you have a block of flats and you look like a legitimate landlord. Yeah. Or you look like a legitimate player. But in fact, the money comes from nefarious sources. So what Jason has done, amazingly, is he represented, for example, the families, the victims of the Oma bombing. And he went after the property of the IRA terrorists who planted that bomb, yeah. who were largely walking around yeah. up in County Louth. I think they were mainly up around County Louth, right? And I thought, a human stuff. rights lawyer who is going after these people. And again, what interests me this week is he's going after the Wagner Group, or the Wagner Group, as Americans would say. Yeah. You know, that Russian-backed... Militia. Qu yeah, quasi-official militia. Yeah. Who are killing 
Ukrainians hand over fist and have admitted so. Yeah. And also operating in Africa. In, in Mali and yeah. all these places, yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. And we're operating in Syria. And when we say operating, that's a fucking grandiose title for killing innocent people. Yeah. That's what they were doing. So they take the most despicable people in Russia, they turn them into monsters, they unleash them on innocent civilians, and then they celebrate about how they are an organization. Yeah. So Jason, who we're going to hear about, is going after them and he's going to try and sue them in the same way as he sued the real IRA, as he sued Hamas, as he sued rogue states like Gaddafi. So extraordinary story. And he's coming to talk. I just said, man, I listened to him. I said, we have to put him on stage. Absolutely. So that'll be, it'll be an amazing discussion. Jason McHugh, Friday the 16th at Dorky. But why don't we go to London and talk to Jason right now? Now, I have a fascinating, a fascinating geezer on the line here. I hope, Jason, you don't mind me calling it geezer. Actually, yeah, geezer's good. A, a lawyer, a human rights activist, a geezer, the whole thing. Jason McHugh, you are unusual in the sense that you prosecute on behalf of victims, terrorist organizations. Right, and you've been successful in doing that. Explain to me what you were up to. You're coming to Dorky, and I'm fascinated to hear all this stuff, but I want to hear it first here on the podcast. Explain to me, what is it you do? So there was this, the issue is sometimes the state or international uh, entities, forums, UN, that sort of thing, they can't do certain things for one reason or another. They don't have the ability to do it or the will, political will to do it. And sometimes civil society has to fill that gap. And so I got head up about this when I was a youngster, that things weren't getting done. And I decided to try and pioneer this thing called lawfare, which became known as lawfare for civil society matters. And what it is, is you use the laws in different jurisdictions around the world. Sometimes you use a civil court, sometimes you bring a private prosecution. Sometimes it's a campaign to get a new law brought in. But what you're doing is you're trying to create behavioural change or to provide justice in, in the cases you were just talking about for ordinary victims. So you're fusing a sort of a yearning as a young fella to think, hold on a second, things are not right, society's moving slowly, we could get to the pitch of this argument quicker, we could embolden victims with something else to go after the people who perpetrated injustice against them. So you're using the law to isolate cases where the law itself isn't really working or the institutions yeah. aren't working. So give me an example, the OMA bombing. This was the single biggest massacre in Northern Ireland in any one day. How did you go after, what did you use on behalf of the victims to go after those real IRA? Was it real IRA at the end? It was real IRA, yeah. So the issue there, if you remember, was that, thank God, there was a peace process going on. But... Of course, you had the situation where the four guys who were involved in this bombing, of course, there were more people, but the four guys were not prosecuted. There were not, the criminal cases against them hadn't been successful leading into prosecutions. So they were still walking around the communities, and this sort of pissed me off. This was an exact example where those families who went through hell, as we all know, they needed justice because without justice, you, you can't move on. There can't yeah. be peace. And I felt there was a gap there that needed to be filled. And therefore, it was sitting down with a blank piece of paper and saying, OK, can we do something that hasn't been done before? And we did. Jason, can I just stop you there before? Why weren't the 
criminal cases. Because again, we're, we're going back in time now. Many of the listeners are young, so young that they mightn't even remember this. It might be something vaguely their parents talked about. Why, in the case of Oma, was there such difficulties in prosecuting a criminal case when the identities were known? Yeah. Well, I think there were several things. One was the type of evidence that was available to the police. Uh, a lot of it was intelligence-based, and there were issues there. I think it's the difficulties inherent within the criminal process, but also, we have to face it, it was also because there was a political process going on. And I understand that when, on a state level, peace and the greater good overrides, perhaps, you know, poking the hornet's nest and bringing prosecutions. But the point is, those families deserve justice. And sometimes the individual does matter. And it matters, but not just for them, but for society as a whole, because society needs to see justice happen to move on, you know. And I think that's what we did in a way. You know, that's, that was the goal. So explain to me, how do you prosecute an organisation like the IRA or the real IRA when that organisation, by definition, is illegal? And yet there is a money trail. Somebody's paying somebody to do something. Somebody's getting paid. How do you do it? Like, where do you start? Well, in, in that particular case, we, uh, we went after the individuals involved personally and in their capacity as members of the Real IRA and the Real IRA as an unincorporated association as well. So they were the early days. We've refined it now. You know, when we took on uh, Hamas, we also went after those that facilitated the banking systems that supported them and moved around their money and gave rewards to suicide bomber families. Uh, for committing the crime, this was something else. You know, you look at this and you go, this has to be stopped. This can't be right in a civilised world that there is a bank doing this. Yeah, who's actually paying somebody to blow themselves up. Are they we, blow prove, up? we prove, you're not going to believe this. In the particular bank in question, there were posters on the wall which basically said, go and bloody kill yourself and we'll give 20 grand to your family. No way. This no, is in, 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 in what jurisdiction? That was in Gaza. Okay. And how do you go after a bank in Gaza? And how do you link a bank to Hamas? Apart from the fact that up on the wall, there's a little poster saying, off you go. So there's, there's two things. One, it took quite a bit of time on the ground um, in Gaza and Israel, looking for the evidence and getting it together and getting help of different organisations. Once you've got the evidence in the case, then you've got to work out, where can I bring this in the world? You know, yeah. can, I, can I bring this in Ireland? Can I bring this in the UK? Can I bring it in America? As it turned out, we could bring it in America. The case trundled through the courts. And in the end, we got a settlement, which was sort of confidential, but I can tell you it was over a billion, which went to the families of the victims. Over day. one billion? Yep. Okay, so who pays that? In that case, it was the bank that was involved. Yes. And do we know the name of this bank? Can we also the name yes, of this bank? Arab bank. It's, it's been in the media. It's so the bank facilitated suicide bombing and facilitated the entire process. And you took the bank to court in the States and got that resolution. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, obviously a team of us. Wasn't I know, but it's a, it's still an extraordinary thing because again, it's 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 one of those things, and this is what I always love about following the money. You know, just the basic old idea: follow the money, and you'll find the evidence, you'll find the cause, you'll find the critical individuals, all that sort of stuff. You're calling it right, David, because you see, 
one of the things that you've got to do with, and, and it doesn't matter whether it's a terrorist organization, I've gone after rogue regimes, uh, Iran, uh, Libya, now Russia. That's, I want to get on to the Russia in a sec. Sure. But the point is, whether it's a rogue regime, whether it's a corporation, you know, I'm suing Facebook for the Rohingya victims, you know, a million victims. So you're suing Facebook because of the use of Facebook as a platform to terrorize the Rohingya and to incriminate the Rohingya and as a platform for propaganda against them. Yes, correct. You see, the issue is with the Rohingya is they're stateless, right? Yes. What they are suffering in Bangladesh, where there's almost a million people there living in absolute awful conditions, in their state, their constitution says they have no right to the law. So they can't bring a case there with a regime that's trying to commit a genocide against them. The problem is no one wants to deal with the Rohingya issue. The international community, what do we do with a million people? How do we do this with a regime which is, you know, headstrong and just not moving? So how do you find justice for them? How do you find money so that those kids in the camps can actually have a life beyond the camps, can have education while they're in the camps? We looked at this and looked at it, and then what we saw was that there was this big international brassy company, which all our kids use and follow, saying they're holier than thou. And they admit that for several years they knew this was going on and didn't do enough, didn't do enough to stop the radical monks who were going, go and kill those cockroaches, go and wipe their villages out, putting out propaganda saying a Rohingya had come in and raped some Buddhist woman, which was utterly untrue. They allowed the regime to use it for the same propaganda purpose. Now, to me, you've got to take responsibility for that. You've got to be accountable. And we're going to try and make them accountable. Yeah, we're going to be pushing the law. Yeah, we're going to be fighting a big machine. Well, someone's got to fight them. You can't allow companies which have access to our kids in Ireland and UK that behave like this elsewhere. We're a global law society here. We just can't do it. And so what you're saying is that, you know, Facebook is, A, taking in money in order, but like it's, it's, it's putting these individuals on their platform to propagandize and terrorize the Rohingya. At the same time, they're a global company. At the same time, they're probably taking in ads for eyeballs on these things. And your case is you guys are responsible. That's the case. Absolutely. I, I, I don't think for one minute... Facebook as an entity and the people involved in it are not pro-genocide of the Rohingya. It's the last thing they want to do. But what they've got to realise is that they have a platform which people and their algorithms are perpetuating out there and allowing people to use, and you don't have enough monitors monitoring it. You've got a bloody responsibility because that adds to the damage that has caused, I mean, a genocide to these people. So... You know, you've got to start looking at things and thinking about consequences, going back to your earlier question. You've got to think, where can I do this? How do I solve this problem for these people? What can we do? Well, it's, you know, again, it's, it's, we come back to that idea. And it is true that every single act, every single, whether it's a terrorist act, whether it's a state act, as you said, has got somebody financing it somewhere. So there's lawyers, there's accountants, there's banks. There's platforms, there's media, whatever it happens to be. It's, it's exactly the same as the infrastructure behind opening a shop, actually. Yeah. We have exactly the same infrastructure, financial infrastructure. You've got it in one. That was the thing that struck me. I, I did, when I was a kid in Dublin, I did the um, sort of 
fairly infamous Slab Murphy trial, which was a defamation case in uh, the Sunday Times. And when I was doing that and defending it, it struck me. That was an early kernel. And I was thinking, here you go. These terrorists who say we're not part of society, we don't play with society, we don't say a word, we're using the systems of civil society, the courts, to make money. And I thought, we've got to be able to use those courts against them and against rogue regimes. We're behind the curve here. They're the smart ones. They're the smart ones bringing these actions. They're thinking about it. And so it was really, that was part of the germ because they are like any organization. Yeah. Well, it is. it's this whole thing. I mean, if you look at the provost, or if you take Hamas, or if you take any of these things, and you superimpose the sort of the Tony Soprano organization, or the Michael Corleone organization, you have an organization. They are. And you they're have a, runners. A it's a business. They're a business, but, you know, they have guns as well. Yeah, it's a business with guns. John? Jason, can I just ask you a quick question? Just come back to the Facebook Rohingya question. As you were explaining that, and of course Facebook don't want to promote any sort of genocide and stuff, but how do you square that with the likes of Facebook and Twitter with this whole idea of free speech? And 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 it's become such a touchstone now for, for all sorts of yes. radicals. Well, well let's 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 talk about free speech. I, I'm a human rights lawyer. I believe in it. It's where I come from. Yeah. So I'm the last person in the world who wants to curtail free speech. But what I will say is this free speech is not allowing someone to go onto a screen and uh, onto a platform and say somebody else, a whole ethnic group, is a cockroach. This, this is Nazi stuff, right? This is Holocaust stuff. And then say, go and kill them in Village X on Thursday night or whatever it is because they're these cockroaches and we have to kill them. I, I'm, that's not free speech. Spe- free speech is not about allowing people who are genocide heirs or who are human rights abusers who are, or criminals to propagate their business and attain it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is quite an extreme case, but is there a difficulty in, in finding that line? Where does free speech start or where does free speech end and extremism start? Yes, but not in the examples I take on. Uh, I, sure. I would purposely go on cases where it's egregious. So, I, I, I mean, I don't think even Facebook would try and maintain that it was okay to allow people to do what and say what they did on their platforms. And in fact, Zuckerberg himself in the Senate hearings actually apologised and said, basically, we screwed up. We, we shouldn't have allowed this. Right. Of course not. There's no argument on that from them. However, where you're absolutely right, what would they do? What would they do? They will try and hide behind, like in America, it's called a Section 230 defense, which is we're not publishers. It's nothing to do with us. You know, we're just this free speech platform that allows. Yeah, not we're, good we're just this town hall square. Which is the expression that hides a multitude of sins. It does. It does. And this is the other problem. The case is not just about Rohingya. It's about also doing something which all the lawyers involved want to do, which is to curb some of these uh, egregious sort of uh, acts that these big, huge internet giants do. They get away with it because they're a new medium. Can you imagine a television station or, or a newspaper of any repute? 
allowing this sort of material to be on, whether it's that or your Tate stuff or whatever it is, you know, self-harming thing? Of course not. They are now part of society. They are part of the infrastructure. They're getting paid. They're making billions. And what? We have to treat them as though they're outside of it? They want to be like terrorists where it's like, we're outside, you can't sue us. No, screw off. We have to start attacking them. Now let's talk about Wagner. So your latest campaign is on behalf of Ukrainian victims of an organization which has been now deemed a terrorist organization in the UK and in the EU. Explain to me how you're going to go after Wagner on behalf of Ukrainians and what do you hope to achieve and where do you hope to achieve it? So if I can, David, put it in a little bit of context. Yeah. The one thing we were asked to do was to look at doing a lawfare program because of our work for the Ukrainians. So we've designed a program and it's to target exactly what you were talking about before, the facilitators, the money men, the sanction busters, the oligarchs who support the war machine. These are all the things around the Russian state that makes the war happen. And those that are committing the the most heinous of crimes in Wagner's case. The first case in the program is the Wagner case. And the reason why we did that is, yes, we wanted to make a point. We wanted to show that we were serious and that this whole program that we're doing for Ukraine can have bite and it's going to come after them. It's very important because there's two things to the case. One is there's justice, right? Yeah. The other one is in lawfare cases a deterrent. If we can be a pain in the ass and start affecting them and chasing their money and closing down their ultimate business, and in Wagner's case, remember they're a commercial outfit. Yeah. Right? They have offices everywhere. Guess where? They don't have them in nice places, right? <laughs> they're in Tehran. They're, you know, yeah. they're in all the places which are, are full of conflict and problems in this world. They, they, they are monsters who we've watched for 10 years run riot over Africa. And again, we've been pleading over those years and brilliant journals like Bellingcat trying to put the spotlight on Wagner and the dangers of Wagner when you have a military private machine, which is a proxy for the Russian government's foreign policy, allowing the Russian government to do illegalities, terrorism, crimes against humanity, through Wagner, right? Yeah. As a proxy, it had to be stopped. And unfortunately, it's the same old story in Africa. No one was willing to listen, right? Now we're on the gates of Europe. Things have happened, and you're quite right. We've done a lot of lobbying. And thank God, the British government, the European Parliament, all of which we gave testimony to, has prescribed them. And it's the right move because it will be the beginning of the end of Wagner. And we need to not have organizations like that in this world. We do not need an organization that can go into Africa, prop up a dictator, steal the gold out of Africa, and then move on to the next. Yeah. Now, explain to me in the Wagner case, right? So you have a group that has self-identified as a parallel force. You know, they are in Bakhmut saying, we're now going to leave Bakhmut and leave it to the Russian army. So there's no question about the motive. They're actually expressing, they're telling the whole world what they do, right? Putin's caterer, the boss man, gets on Telegram every other night and starts ranting and raving. So we have the evidence. This is, this is the evidence. Sorry. There are, of course, a number of large Russian 
Russian-based banks. There are Russian-based accountants. There are Russian-based financiers. And those people live in this twilight world somewhere between South Kensington and Moscow. I was there the other day in South Kensington. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people you think, mm, I wonder where all your bread came from. Here was the, you've, you've, I'm sorry for butting in, but there is a great irony in the Russian social kleptocracy structure, which is, yes, they rob each other blind, but they don't trust to keep the money in Russia. So it's, it's all over the world, which makes it's their Achilles heel. That's why these actions we're doing can go after those assets because they're not safely inside a Kremlin bank, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. So you, they're, they're all over the place. They're in Cannes, they're in South Kensington, they're in New York, they're, they're everywhere. So you, you have the evidence. So how do you piece together? This is what intrigues me. It's the almost sort of old school cop idea where you have a wall of individuals. You have chains of command and chains of links. How do you as a lawyer unpick these organizations, these kind of mafiosi organizations, and tell the story and identify things? Because I presume they're trying to hide as much as you're trying to expose. So it's a game of cat and mouse. They are. Well, that's where the graph comes in. In truth, it's where you've got to roll up your sleeve. I mean, yeah, there's a thousand lawyers in this group around the world working on this case. We've got a, a thousand investigators. You know, I've mentioned it before, like Bellingcat, all supporting this. We had Bellingcat on a couple of a couple of months ago. Extraordinary guys. Oh, they're great. They're dudes, and we're actually their lawyers as well. So I double like them, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, there's a huge team, and it's graft putting it all together, mapping it out. This is what's going on. You know, we map it. We map a contract which we know they're doing in a mine somewhere in the world. You follow it through. You follow through who are the banks, the notaries, who they own. And there's a trail. And if you've got the skilled team, you can do it. And, you know, in this war, it also means people are willing to help because there's a great will for Ukraine and to stop murderous yep. groups of Wagner. So our capability is exceptional in these cases. It wasn't like in the early days when I was doing these cases. You know, I felt I had both my arms behind the back. And yeah. I was, you know, a kid fighting Goliath, you know. And, uh, but now we, the, there's big teams who know how to do this. And, um, yeah, we, we trace it through. We trace through who funds each contract, who benefits from each contract. It, it's not such a difficult task. It's a laborious, takes a lot of time, but there's a lot of people helping. And then finally, Jason, before you go, where do you then prosecute them in? What jurisdiction? So what threat to Wagner is a prosecution, successful prosecution in London? Well, in London, the danger to them is, one, it's a competent court which will make a fair judgment, so it can't bully it. And if it doesn't want to play ball by rules of international standards, it will lose. And not least because we have the evidence to prove they're terrorists and they created the damage. It's also a case for 180,000 evacuees to the UK, which gives them jurisdiction. That, believe it or not, makes a staggering damages claim between 5 and 10 billion sterling. It's huge, right? It's huge. And that's conservative figures built up by barristers and teams of uh, people who... Yeah, and and assessors and all damage assessors. Exactly, exactly. Now, let's say we win that judgment, which I believe we will. With that judgment, we can enforce that around the world. So I know the jurisdictions where a lot of their money is and the people involved. 
we can go there. You enforce that judgment through the courts of another. These are simple processes. If, if it's in Europe, and let's face it, there's been, well, there's different versions on this. It's either 300 to 600 billion frozen in Europe. But in Europe, I'm allowed to register my judgment from the UK and enforce it. And because it's a humanitarian action, because it's a anti-terrorism action, because of Wagner have committed terrorism, because of human rights, we are allowed to set that off against sanctioned assets. Wow. So you say, so you have a balance sheet of here's here's Russian Wagner associated assets. Let's say it's a building in Mayfair, or for example, or a block of flats in Cannes or whatever they have, right? And you can just simply say, here's the balance sheet. Here's what I'm owed. I'm going to take that and I'm going to sell that flat and I'm going to give those proceeds to Ukrainians who are now in refugee camps or Ukrainians who are now living in, in Limerick or in Clare or in Galway. Yeah, yeah. And what we're trying to do is bring similar cases to this Wagner in different jurisdictions. We have two ready to go in America. We've got one in France, which is being prepared. We have one ready to go in Israel, Canada. These are for all different groupings and different groups of plaintiffs, one reason or another. And you hip hop through these jurisdictions and you target different sanction busters, different banks, different whatever. And we're going to scoop up. And every penny we scoop up is going to go to those victims. And part of the gig that we're saying to the victim claimants in the case is 20% they're going to give to a central fund for Ukrainian victims who haven't got the legal standing to be able to bring a case. Yeah. So we're truly trying to help all. Jason, this is wonderful stuff. I am going to see you at Dorky on Friday fortnight. I think it's Friday afternoon. You'll be talking in, I think, the town hall, as far as I remember. I think you are clashing with the mere Tom Hanks on the bill. That's going to be a battle, that one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, someone someone should tell him. (laughs) And when you tell him, tell him to sign up to support the crowdfunding campaign for the Ukrainians. Oh, there it is. Then I'll be purposely crap and make it look good. (laughs) Jason, listen, we will talk to you in a couple of weeks' time. Wonderful stuff. Can't wait to see you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You know, what's fascinating about that, John, loads of fascinating things, but 
And again, it's the follow the money idea. It's dirty money. How do you get your hands on it? But what I thought, it's a very 21st century idea here that with, for example, data, so you take his association with Bellingcat. And yeah. remember, we talked to Christo Grozev yeah. of Bellingcat. He was great as yeah, well. And he yeah. was talking about how they're using data to follow. Mm. But he did say, he said, we go to crime scenes where there are no witnesses. That's what he said. Yeah. So most criminal cases, you want to find the witness, the whistleblower, the person who says, I saw him pull the trigger. Mm. But you don't have that. So data becomes your witness. And it's all to do with this being facilitated by our new, if it, if it wasn't for the cloud, they couldn't do all this. Yeah. You have to suck this data from somewhere. Right? But it's also quite labour intensive, as as he Jason was saying. was saying. So there's a thousand lawyers, yeah. going through the graft, you know. But again, the fascinating thing is, it's that case. You remember all the president's men? Yeah, great movie, right? And do you remember the whole idea of follow the money? Yeah. So how do you get to Nixon? You go through Watergate, and you follow the money through the Watergate apartments. Who was renting it? Who was doing this? That? Yeah. This is the same idea. You follow the money, because the money is dirty. And they're trying to clean it up. And the question then is, how do you do that? Well, you do that with technology, you do it with going after the bankers, going after the accountants, going after the financiers, all these extraneous sources. If you think like, you know, our country had an ongoing terrorist campaign for years and years and years. Mm. There were banks involved. There were post offices involved. It wasn't course, just the IRA yeah. robbing the of banks. Course, of somebody course, had yeah. to somebody had to launder the money, somebody had to clean it up etc. Like the Northern Bank money, where did that all go? It yeah. all got laundered. It all got cleaned up, you know? And likewise, the UVF, the UDA, same mm. sort of idea. All this where is did happening. Shergar go? Where did Shergar go? Exactly. <laughs> that is a particularly niche issue of where did Shergar go? But finally, you know, what it's just saying to us is when you follow the money, you realise the weakest links in the chain are the financial links, the mm. economic links. Remember Al Capone? How was Al Capone caught? Yeah. His accountant. They got at his accountant. It was a tax dodge, wasn't it? Was it was a tax dodge. Exactly. Yeah. And this is how they're going to get these guys. It's going to be on something very basic like that. And again, I find it absolutely fascinating because it's the fusion of criminality, economics, investigative journalism, the law, and data mining. They all come together. And I think that if he manages to catch those Wagner guys or if he manages to get judgments against them and he manages to associate them with other Russian oligarchs or other oligarchs, mm. then he'll have done an amazing service for the whole world. Absolutely. Talk to you next week.